Today on Act News Daily. Well, uh, if you're a fan of the first Wall Street movie, Gordon Gecko uh, gives a big speech saying greed is good and talks about tell dark paper. I could almost quote the whole thing for you, but nonetheless, greed's okay. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy 2021 and happy Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, it feels like I haven't talked to you or been on the microphone talking to our listeners in so long. I know it feels super, super weird. I was worried. I was laying in bed last night, you know, kind of preparing myself for today because it's the first time that I've really gotten to really sit down and do any work. It feels good to have had a break. But while I was laying there, I was like, I'm totally going to be messing up left and right tomorrow. I'm going to have to relearn how to talk on the mic. So if this is going to be a little bit bumpy, buckle in folks. And I apologize in advance. Nah, you're a natural. You've got it, Ashton. You've had plenty of cake and cookies and whatever you ate for your Christmas celebration. You've got all that on your side today, I'm sure. Yeah, I went to the gym for the first time since the holidays this morning, trying to work out all of that stuff. But uh, I'm definitely a sweets kind of person. So I had a ton of them while I was at home. Yeah, so did I. So did I. I'm right there with you. We were I was just talking last night with Blaine and we were trying to put together a grocery list for 2021 starting out here because we both need to lose a little lose a little because our pants are getting a little tight, as I'm sure everybody else's are, you know, with quarantine, we had COVID and we went straight into the holidays. So it's not been not been nice to my body. It hasn't been nice to mine either. I'm sure everyone around the world probably feels the same way. (laughs) Yeah. I think so too. But with fresh, it's weird to think we're in 2021. With a fresh uh, year, we've got fresh news to kick things off with today, Ashton. What do you have for us? Well, even though we are now in a new year, labor issues in Argentina continue to impact global grain trade. Don Rose, who is the U.S. Commodities President, says that a week after a dock worker strike ended, there is optimism that a deal can be reached with Argentina's Grain Inspectors Union. According to Brownfield Ag News, Rose says the union is asking for a 35% pay wage hike in the face of a 30% peso devaluation. Argentina's Ministry of Agriculture recently suspended corn export registrations through the month of February. Rose was quoted as saying, so that's telling us that they want to wait and see what they have for a crop before they ship too much more grain out. So that's a bit of a concerning factor. With Argentina accounting for 17% of the world corn exports and being the largest global exporter of soybean meal and soy oil, I'm sure that lots of folks are waiting to see what happens with this strike, the union, and how it's all going to play out in the world of trade. Yes, it will be uh, an important one to watch. This is one that the commodity markets have definitely been watching, and I think we talked about it just before the end of the year back in 2020. We talked about it a little bit on the podcast. Um, The strike that was going on down there, it definitely has been supportive for soybean prices so far, but with a potential deal, at least the strike is over. So their exports are resuming. They could always have another strike if they don't reach some sort of conclusion. So that's really the thing to watch here at this point, but it does seem we're all 
odds are pointing that they do reach some sort of negotiation here. We don't see that happen again. Yeah, I I sure hope they don't go on another strike, but we'll just have to wait and see what happens there, Delaney. But what headlines are are you wanting to share for the new year? Well, I feel like this is old news, but but I just want to make it known. You know, here we are heading into our 117th Congress. So we're seeing folks being sworn in. We also saw just at the nick of time, President Trump did sign a year-end spending bill, a $900 billion COVID relief package which I think we talked about. It hadn't been passed as of the end of the podcast in 2020, but this bill does provide uh, direct payments to consumers. Um, It does provide a little bit of help for agriculture as well. But really, as we are finishing up, you know, calculating figures, facts and figures from 2020, it was a record year for farm subsidies, uh, $46 billion to be exact, And we also saw the government put out new estimates, new numbers about different CFAP payments and whatnot. You know, one of them that came out, uh, this report that was put together by the Congressional Research Service, talking about where that aid went, said that about 46% of row crop farmers received CFAP2 payments, while 28% who represented about 28% of the value of total U.S. ag output. Specialty crops represented about 25% of the national output, and livestock producers got about 36% of the payment and represented about 27% of the total output of livestock. So, you know, the question was posed, were those CFAT payments going to the people they should have been going to? You can make your own conclusion from those numbers. But again, 46% for row crops, 17 for specialty, and 36% for livestock farmers. Well, Delaney, that is certainly a lot of numbers to digest, and I'm going to talk a little bit more on numbers, but this time going abroad to Vietnam. For the first time in decades, Vietnam has bought Indian rice. This is a result of prices jumping to their highest in nine years in Vietnam amid limited domestic supply. Potentially, the limited supply could lift rice prices through 2021 and force traditional buyers of rice from Thailand and Vietnam to seek out other options from India. Indian traders have been contracted to export 70,000 tons of 100% broken rice to ship out the first two months of the year at around $310 per ton on a free onboard basis. Meanwhile, Vietnam's 5% broken is offered around $500 to $505 per ton, while India's sits at $381 to $387 per ton. And I, I can't remember where I got this story from. I'll have to maybe pull that back up here in a second. But they're saying that this dwindling of the domestic supply can be attributed to COVID-19 to some extent, but also just to the rise in population in those Asian countries. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, Ashton, because not only are we looking at that happening in Vietnam, but in China, you know, I don't know necessarily that they're dwindling on supplies, but they have recently vowed to expand domestic crop production and strengthen their plan to, quote unquote, ensure grain and food security, which, you know, could also partially come from imports. Chinese importers wrapped up 2020 with new sales and shipments of U.S. soybeans, wheat, and corn. 
record shipments, I should say, of all of those commodities to push things you know, in commodity markets, especially much higher. But China is dealing with similar problems, COVID-19 shutdowns. Uh, you know, I think they're mostly past that. But they had a lot of health concerns. They had a lot of supply chain issues. And so now they're vowing to expand domestic production as well as, at, at least for the time being, imports so that they don't have to have these issues again in the future. They have a new agriculture minister, Tang Renjian. I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce that correctly, but he basically has pledged to improve crop yields of locally grown rice, wheat, soybeans, and corn, and also wants to continue protecting against farmland loss, according to a recent report on the ministry's website. He said that really their efforts are going to be on focused on maintaining a stable food production supply. And they have put together some really ambitious economic and political goals for the years of 2021 to 2025. Within that, obviously, pushing the envelope on technology and being able to produce more crops. I don't know how that's going to go. I think it's going to be an interesting discussion moving forward because we already see China stealing, using, borrowing, whatever you want to call it, our intellectual property. When it comes to technology, agriculture is probably going to be a part of that. It sounds like here moving forward. But really what they're, the bottom line is they're tired of relying on exports and they're trying to find ways to ensure that their people, their, their country does not have to do that moving forward. Delaney, I just have one other story to talk about today. And I guess all three of my stories are, of course, about foreign countries, surprisingly, today. But over the weekend, Mexico's main ag lobby shared their criticism of the recent ban on GMO corn, while organic growers in the country don't really share those same feelings as the ban is expected to protect smaller farms. The degree, which was issued last Thursday by the Mexican government, stated that the country will, quote, revoke and refrain from granting permits for the release of genetically modified corn seeds into the environment. It also mandates the phase out of GMO corn imports by 2024. Mexico is pretty self-sufficient in white corn as they use it for tortillas, but depends on imports of mostly GMO yellow corn from the U.S. for livestock feed. So at this point, it's unclear on whether or not there will be a phase out of GMO corn for livestock feed or simply just a phase out of GMO, GMO corn strictly used for human consumption. So I am I'm in support of, of GMO crops, as I think that a lot of folks here in the U.S. at least are, because I see a lot more opponents for GMOs in foreign countries, but I'm excited to see how this plays out specifically for, for U.S. corn farmers. Yeah, it's um, going to be an important one to continue watching, especially as we see more countries limiting the scope on things like GMO products. So I'm glad you brought that to our attention, Ashton, but I don't think I have any other pressing news for today. I feel like there's tons of things we're missing, but we're just trying to catch up on everything too. Absolutely. I feel, I mean, we were gone for just about a week and a half, so a, a lot has happened, but we sure will enjoy playing catch up this week. We certainly will. But one thing we don't have to play catch up on is the markets, Ashton. They have done a good job of pushing forward without us hosting a podcast. What do you say we look at today's closing prices? Let's do it, Delaney. Well, 
Soybeans flirted with $13 pre-holiday season. Now they're well above it. Starting off here with the January soybean contract up a penny and a quarter to close at 13.16 and a half. The March up two to close at 13.13. In the corn pits, the March contract down just a quarter of a cent today to close at 4.83 and three quarters. The December down a quarter of a cent as well to close at 4.34 and and a half. Chicago wheat pits higher on the day today as the March contract added a penny and a half to close at 6.42. The Dece up two cents to close at 6.38 and three quarters. In the livestock pits, weakness today as the February live cattle contract shed 2.72 and a half to close at 1.12.30. The April cut three dollars to close at 1.16.25. In the feeder cattle markets, limit down moves today as the January contract limit down to close at 134.95. The March down limit down again to close at 136.02 and a half. Lean hogs higher today as the February contract added 95 cents to close at 71.22 and a half. The April up a dollar 37 and a half to close at 73.62. And rounding out our markets today with the class three dairy milk futures. The February contract down 41 cents today to close at 17.08. The March down 19 to close at 17.32. Without further ado, it is with great pleasure we welcome back to the podcast today Tommy Grizafi to Chat Markets. Well, I am very excited to be kicking the new year off today, joined by Tommy Grizafi of Advanced Trading, a broker there. Tommy, it's been quite some time to have you on, so welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. What an exciting day uh, to be on and what an exciting time to be involved in agriculture. It certainly is. And I think that this question is one I've been getting from growers a lot and I think sets the tone for 2021. But, you know, I think a common question that we get, especially heading into next week's WASDE report is, is 2021 the year for a turnaround? You know, we've been in a really low pattern of low commodity prices for, you know, six, seven, eight years. And we're seeing things excited now in the markets. Is this year going to be the turnaround? Are we going to see maybe more of an uptrend moving forward or a super cycle? trending to the upside or do you think this is just a fluke year well uh, no, it's, it's not a fluke it's uh if you study commodity markets they go through lower price cycles and higher price cycles and we have definitely factually i can tell you firsthand since i've known you we've been in a lower price cycle and now we're coming out of that now a couple ways we come out of that is usually a, a production problem or 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 great demand. And what's unique about this is we're having both. We had a production problem with America, of course, you know, you guys in Iowa blew over and got dry and we were dry here in Indiana and North Dakota, my friends and clients up there are frosted. Uh, You have the Ukraine with a problem, Russia with a problem. And so you had about four major grain growing areas in the world with a problem then lo and behold, China says, we'll buy it all. And they did. And China and other countries, Mexico, uh, bought a lot. So we have the best of both worlds. We have Mother Nature saying, you have too much. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of that for you. We'll just make the world make less. And then uh, the signal from the world to uh, we want it all. And I would say that's probably the COVID trade or the inflation trade. And uh, nonetheless, uh, it, it, this feels very real, and we tried to tell people that a few months ago, but you have to understand how, how burnt they've been. The last time corn futures were above $5 was uh, about May 14th of 2014. 
So to even joke around that corn could go above five, uh, it's been seven years. So you don't joke like that. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> that's where we are. Because you get that's people hooked up and then they get disappointed. Well, right. And that's the other thing that I think it's important to talk about here is folks are thinking about what they're going to plant for 2021 and their marketing decisions. It seems like when we have really nice prices, I don't want to say that people get greedy, but they definitely sometimes logic or their marketing plans get thrown out the window. How do you preface that for starting out this year right and being able to understand like, okay, I'm going to make money. I should price some bushels, but maybe I look at some re-ownership strategies. Well, uh, if you're a fan of the first Wall Street movie, Gordon Gecko uh, gives a big speech saying greed is good and talks about Teldar paper. I could almost quote the whole thing for you, but nonetheless, greed's okay. When it comes to running a farm, you need to be selfish, not selfish that you wouldn't help your neighbor, but selfish that you're going to help yourself first. And uh, the farmer's been conditioned that uh, if we get to break evens to sell, and, and that wasn't a bad plan in, until it didn't work. And now we're, we're, we've moved way beyond that, right? So you take that soybeans, we're in the lower eights at one point this year, and then we hit a high of uh, 13.49 and a half last night in March. So what a dynamic range. Uh, I I would say that, uh, of course, we always at advanced trading support re-ownership, but you, I could introduce you to hundreds of farmers who say, hey, I worked with those guys or some other guys. I bought calls and nothing ever happened. And, and what happens in a big dynamic market like this, and I've seen it, I've witnessed it personally, both sides, people buying calls in years past and not making money. But I've also witnessed a few people who bought calls this year and made more money than they could have ever imagined um, by owning those calls. And so everyone needs to find out what's best for them. It's, it's not necessarily from listening to me on this podcast, you're going to, what happens, what tends to happen is farmers do what they should have done the year before. So next year, it won't be hard to convince someone to buy a call because they'll remember this year, but they'll forget about the five or seven years before that where the markets just were flat and didn't rally much. So, and, and they could buy futures. There's all types of products. But one thing to bring up that you talked about a little bit ago, profitability. Not only is the market going to allow for profitability as it stands now, but as we establish crop insurance in the February average, that that's also a, uh, a wonderful, a wonderful uh uh, indicator of if there's going to be profitability. So when you take a, a great Iowa grower, or Illinois grower, Indiana grower, and they buy 85% crop insurance, and they know their 10-year APH, we're, we're going to look at, for the first time in a long time, a bunch of people who are guaranteed to make a profit just based on crop insurance. And, and that's wonderful. And uh, the bad side effect of all this is the market's just not rallying for American farmers. It's rallying for the world farmers. So you have to wonder and ask yourself, where are we going to be in a few years when all this uh, euphoria, Bitcoin, and uh, the the Federal Reserve writing checks for people uh, uh, every few months, and we know so many people need it. There's also a lot of money that went in the hands of people who didn't need it. So what a unique time to be in agriculture when we have the biggest rally in seven years, handed out by the most money given out to the American farmer in history. What a dynamic combination. Then you throw food security and COVID into that, and we're starting to talk about lockdowns over Europe and across the EU. So uh, a very interesting time. 
so many things playing in. I guess your original question was, what do you do with all that responsibility? And I would challenge anyone who's listening to do something. If you need help, call someone. If you, if you need advice, get it. If you know how to do this, do it. And don't freeze up. That's the, the number one thing I could tell you is don't freeze up. What a, what a wonderful opportunity to set floors. We got about 60, uh, 60 January, February. We'll know by the middle of February what spring crop insurance is. So we have a good 45, 50 days that you really need to pay attention to these markets to get to that crop insurance level. And then we'll move on forward from there. Absolutely. Tommy, I want to dive a little deeper here into the soybean markets. We have not had a podcast now in over a week and a half. We took a break here for the holidays, but soybeans were flirting with $13 heading into the holiday season. And now we are well past that resistance level. But the thing I want to dive in a little deeper on and ask your opinion on is why are we seeing an inversion right now? When you look at front months, January is up to 13, 16, but you look further out at the new crop and we're only at 1120 there. So they're different crop years and you have to uh, treat them different. Imagine twins, but they're not identical. So they're not going to wear the same size pants. One might be taller and the other one might have blue eyes, but uh, they're from the same parents, you know? And so these are different years. You have to separate them. And, and it creates uh, it creates an illusion that prices aren't good in 2021. And the answer to your question is the supply and demand dynamics for what's happening now, we can't plant any more beans for 20. We can't unfrost those beans that frosted in North Dakota. We can't fix those beans that blew over in Iowa. But the market believes that the world will replenish these beans here in the next year. And uh, nothing cures high prices like high prices. So as the market goes up, uh, that starts to uh, hurt demand. And then the market believes that the American farmer's awesome. They're going to plant a lot of beans and things will be a different situation here in the next year. Now, if that doesn't happen, that November 11, and we and we had that happen today in the market. At one point, November of, uh, well, I said 11, I got to get my years right. November <laughs> of 21 was up 10 and the uh, March and May beans were actually lower. So you did see some more aggressive buying in the back end. But at one point today, March was $2 over November. And that's just simple supply and demand. Uh, we're running out of something right now. Kind of like, what was the hot gift this year uh, during Christmas? Was it the uh, like Xbox something? I Yeah, Xbox. Tri- uh, gosh, I'm not good with this either. There's like something. a PlayStation 5 that came out too, I know. Yeah, I saw people, I noticed people <laughs> on Facebook posting them for two or three times what they cost. Well, you know what? A few days after Christmas, they're not as much in demand. So uh, this year's Xbox 5 or PlayStation super duper, the gift to give everyone was soybeans. And they don't cost $8 and $9. They cost $13.25 today. Now, as time goes by and the world produces more and demand calms down a little bit, uh, you know, things correct. And it's just fascinating to watch the spreads at the Board of Trade uh, move and understand how that plays into your individual farm and educating people about that's always fun. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the spreads, Tommy. What specifically are you watching? Well, uh, we're we're running out of customers who actually own a lot of physical uh, beans. And so we we have our ownership here now in calls or futures. So we're very much watching the March and the May. But then we have to be very defensive on the uh, November. So uh, over the last few days, we purchased a lot of November put, put options protecting downside. So 
you have a you have a customer who wants ownership in front, but you have a customer who's smart enough and disciplined enough to want protection in back. And uh, there's a lot of conversations where someone will look at a DTN or a quote machine and say, you think I could buy a $12 put? I'm like, not for next year. I mean, you could buy it, but it costs a couple of dollars. So you're constantly explaining, hey, the front month's on fire. Take, for example, corn. You know, you asked about the spreads and beans, but look at corn. It feels like, oh, we're going to make so much money growing corn in 21. Well, December 21 corn's 435, a good price, not a great price, just a good price. All the action and all the uh, all the supply and demands coming in the front end. So last night, March corn hit 497 and three quarters, trading uh, probably close to 50 cents over uh, the December. So everybody in the world wants everything up front right now, and they're willing to pay for it. And so there's a lot of walking people through actually selling every cash bushel you have because they want it now. And every month that you hold on to this, it could be worth less. And, and that's the education process through uh, trading spreads. And hopefully, I'm sure growers are hoping it doesn't become worth less, you know, as we near production and, and planting and harvest and all that, which feels like eons away. But before I let you go, I want to make sure we also ask the WASD report is next week. This is intended or usually a big report. What do you think is going to happen? Depending on where we start from. So uh, if we're $5 corn coming into this, we could easily go limit down. Limit in corn currently is 25 cents. So if we're $5 corn, come out the way the numbers look, a little friendlier, a few more bushels found, a little less demand, uh, we could easily be 475 corn at the end of the day. Uh, so it all depends where we start from. Obviously, we have a, a bullish scenario, but with the funds at a record, record long and and people overly optimistic, uh, it, it's it's really scary to think what could happen here with a little bearish news. Fantastic. Well, Tommy, before I let you go, it's been a little while since we've had you on. If we've got any new listeners that want to connect with you, how can they do that on social media, website or otherwise? Yeah, give us a call, um, 1-800-664-4383, advanced-trading.com. I'm on there. And uh, social media, I've kind of just chilled out, and I'm not really on there anymore. So uh, I'm an easy guy to get a hold of. And don't forget, today's national pick-up-your-check-at-the-grain-elevator uh, day, January 4th. All that money they were holding, saying, <laughs> hey, wait for me to pick this up. I don't want to pay taxes. So don't, don't forget to pick up your money. And the government's going to be sending you plenty more. What an interesting time to be in agriculture. It certainly is. Well, Tommy, thanks so much for joining. We won't wait next time to, as long to have you on again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And thanks for the call. Well, again, a big thank you there to Tommy. Great to have him back on. It's been quite some time and it was really nice to connect with him again. But uh I tell you what, Ashton, we got to get some fresh faces and voices on the podcast this year. So folks, if you have any suggestions of interview ideas, people you want to hear from, topics you want us to cover, be, feel free to shoot us an email, uh, info at Ag News Daily, or you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.